Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy martinis coming for conservatives once again today. And Jim, the good news comes to us from the floor of the U.S. Senate, which... Um, you would think wouldn't happen very often with the Democrats in control, but given the 50-50 split and their desire to kill the filibuster and pass a massive big government spending plan, we've actually gotten some good news from the Senate floor, and we got another piece of good news on Monday. And this is because the Senate tried to advance what they call the Women's Health Protection Act. But what the Women's Health Protection Act would have really done was to force every state to allow abortions for any reason until at least the point of viability, generally defined around six months into a pregnancy, and ban most restrictions on abortion up to the point of birth. So any state regulation that exists, any state regulation that states would want to put in place, and obviously this is in part uh, in response to what we're seeing out of Texas and uh, Mississippi, uh, Georgia, and other places that have had heartbeat bills and so forth. Uh, But the good news is is that they still needed to get to 60 votes to uh, advance the bill. Did not even come close. They only got 46. 48 senators opposed to it. But the only Democrat, Jim that actually opposed pretty much carte blanche abortion was Joe Manchin. And so in a year when the Democrats might be tempted uh, to call the Republicans extremists on abortion because some of these state laws and possibly due to uh, a Supreme Court decision we might be getting in a couple of months, um, the Republicans have a pretty good counter argument here. Look, the Democrats want abortion on demand with virtually no restrictions. Greg, I think what we're seeing here is the fruit of the divisions within the Democratic Party. Because all really pretty much since the uh, Biden presidency began, people have been asking, what is the strategy of Chuck Schumer? What is he doing? Obviously, being majority leader in a 50-50 Senate is not easy. Obviously, Joe Manchin is not going to support a lot of things that other Democrats are going to support. But even by the standards of those uh, hindrances, those challenges, Schumer seems to be playing his bad hand quite badly, um, even recognizing disadvantages there. Most notably, Congress is coming back from a break. It is the end of February, beginning of March. Uh, Europe is at war. Americans are deeply upset about uh, inflation, gas prices, food prices. Life is getting more expensive. I am sure that there is a chunk of the Democratic base of the party that is very fired up about abortion rights and such. But I just don't see it being um, big. And in fact, when I was in Texas a little more than a week ago, uh, one of the interesting stories was that the abortion ban really wasn't coming up in the primary fights and in the primary advertising and things like that. Now, maybe you're going to hear less of it in the primary uh, argument than you are in a general election. But by and large, there was not this sense that Texans were up in arms um, and roiling with passionate concern about this newly passed abortion law. Um, People, it's kind of, you know, the pro-lifers were happy with it. The pro-choicers were upset about it, but there were more pro-lifers than pro-choicers. And, uh, you know, life was going on and they were focusing on other issues, including immigration, interestingly. So out of all the issues the Democrats could focus on, why would your first item agenda be on abortion? Well, I think Chuck Schumer knows that the filing deadline for the Senate primary against him is approaching. And he wants to make sure that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or no other progressive Democrat looks at Chuck Schumer and says, he's a sellout. He's not standing up for our values. He's not tough enough, et cetera. So what you do is you have a Senate majority leader 
governing scared. You have a Senate majority leader who is basically saying, what do I have to do today to keep the base of my party in New York happy, not just the, not just Democratic grassroots coast to coast? So he doesn't care if that puts Maggie Hassan in an awkward spot or Mark Kelly, uh, Warnock. Most of, these, most of these lawmakers are pro-choice, but they may or may not want to remind voters of that in this kind of political environment just a few months before Election Day. And that's what these ended up doing here. So um, Democrats got nothing out of it. The Republicans get something of a win. Uh, it exacerbates tensions between Dem the rest of the Democratic Party and Joe Manchin, even though they're already pretty intense as is. And it just feels like this is a Democratic Party that is focused on uh, social issues that are the obsessions of their base instead of what is actually on the mind of most Americans right now. Remember a couple of weeks ago when they were going to pivot to moderate issues to try and mm. uh, get themselves in a better position for the midterm elections? I don't know if they've decided that uh, there's not much they can do to put themselves in a better position for midterm elections, given what we're seeing on the generic ballot right now. Uh, this legislation is clearly designed to codify uh, abortion into federal law uh, in advance of a Supreme Court decision. But obviously, looking at the the split in the Senate, uh, Schumer knew it wasn't going to happen. So, yes, he's he's trying to make his uh, progressive bona fides uh, attractive enough to, to avoid a serious challenge. I don't think that AOC thinks that she can actually win uh, against him statewide. I could be wrong about that, but... Uh, but we, but we will see. I figure if she wanted to do it, we would have seen more movement in that direction by now. Yeah. Um, she could always jump in at the last minute, and that I can say it's completely out of character for her. But if you're going to try to knock off the sitting Senate Majority Leader, you'd want to get as early a head start as possible. And so far, it does not appear she's done that. So, no, I think she wants to build up her clout in the House. And even if the Democrats, don't retain the majority, which they probably won't. I think she still shuffles up the ladder in the uh, soon-to-be post-Pelosi Democratic caucus. Um, but we'll see. We'll find out. All right. But there's a lot of stress, Jim, uh, going on. you got Democrats trying to uh, approve abortion on demand. You obviously have uh, a serious war going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine. You've got financial concerns with inflation and so many other things happening right now. A lot of instability on a lot of issues. Crime is rampant. It, uh, you can certainly be forgiven for being worried about a lot of stuff. So has your mind been sprinting for weeks, months, maybe even years on end when you consider the pandemic? Uh, are you stressed all the time or are you dealing with anxiety? Well, if you're saying yes to that, then maybe it's time to uh, try a different approach to help deal with that anxiety. And one of the best ways to do that might be with Headspace. Are you doing fine? We all say fine when we don't mean it. Fine isn't really an emotion, now is it? How many times have you told yourself, oh, I'm doing fine, when you've really felt anger or sadness or nerves? Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved that in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety or sleep better or just improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. Now, I remember one time a few months ago when Jim wasn't here and Rob Long of National Review and Ricochet was uh, filling in for Jim, and he was talking about how he uses Headspace all the time. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's just a few minutes, usually about 10 minutes, and it really kind of refocuses his day. And uh, our, our executives here at Radio America have said that our hosts have used it uh, during the pandemic, helps them get better sleep, helps them stay focused, and uh, they're just more productive. So however you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash martini and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available, so go to headspace.com slash martini today. Again, headspace.com slash martini. 
All right, Jim, the news out of Ukraine today, I would say, is considerably worse than it was just yesterday. Uh, we're seeing, I think, this morning that a southeastern city in Ukraine has fallen to Russian control. We know about the, by some accounts, 40-mile convoy headed towards Kiev to try and choke off that city from supplies. Uh, Kharkiv has undergone massive shelling. Some say even uh, vacuum bombs being used, which uh, Zelensky has said uh, he considers a war crime, and I think a lot of other folks would as well. The question is what to uh, do about uh, the Russians intensifying their barrage, their strategy here, and being what would seem to be far less concerned about a lot more civilian casualties. And one of the things that folks have been talking about is a no-fly zone. Zelensky himself particularly called for that from NATO allies. Uh, and even one U.S. senator, Roger Wicker, uh, Republican of Mississippi, this is from Huffington Post, endorsed the idea of creating a no-fly zone over Ukraine amid the Russian invasion of the Eastern European country, saying, quote, clearly in the absence of a U.N. resolution which Russia would veto, a strong coalition of like-minded nations should step in and seriously consider this. Over at the White House... Jensaki, I think, uh, acting more responsibly here, saying uh, the U.S. military, if it did this, would be responsible for shooting down planes, Russian planes, and threatening the outbreak of a larger war. Marco Rubio of Florida saying succinctly, that would mean World War III. Over at NBC News, Richard Engel, usually a very, very good uh, international uh, and war correspondent, tweeting out, perhaps the biggest risk calculation slash moral dilemma of the war so far. A massive Russian convoy is about 30 miles from Kiev. The U.S., NATO uh, could likely destroy it, but that would be direct involvement against Russia and risk everything. Does the West watch in silence as it rolls? Jim, I think Marco Rubio is pretty much right here. I don't know exactly what name you would give the conflict, but direct action against Russia would lead to a major escalation here. And as hard as it is to watch these convoys roll and, uh, you know, the Russians take aim essentially at civilian centers in, in different cities, uh, you got to draw the line where the NATO countries are at the very least. Uh, and, uh, and, and these people who seem to be inching more towards direct involvement inside Ukraine, I think, are thinking with their hearts way more than their heads here. Yeah, and when it comes from the average schmo on social media saying, we should do a no-fly zone, I, you can accept, you can always kind of tell yourself, okay, that person doesn't really understand what enforcing a no-fly zone would entail. Um, in today's Morning Jolt, I talked about, you know, NATO pilots dogfighting Russian pilots, and they said, actually, you probably wouldn't even get to that point. You'd probably have AWACS, you'd probably have surface-to-air missiles on the ground, uh, air defenses taking out Russian planes that way. Uh, but yeah, if it came to that very well, you could have U.S. and NATO ally pilots in doing air patrols, running into Russian fighter jets and engaging and you know, telling them to leave Ukrainian airspace. And if they don't leave, engaging and destroying them. Um, that would put us in a state of war with the Russians. Now, I know to a lot of people it feels like we're close to it. I know it is unnerving and I know we all want to stop Vladimir Putin. I was calling for the economic sanctions. Uh, it seemed like they were coming very slow, and then all of a sudden they came very strong. And in fact, now I kind of worry, you know, one or two dominoes down the road, wondering what the state of the Russian economy is going to be when this conflict ends, uh, whether it's Vladimir Putin still in charge or somebody else in charge of Russia at that point. I don't want a bitter, angry Russian people, you know, uh, utterly impoverished with 4,500 4, nuclear weapons that some general might decide to sell off to somebody else like that. We were really worried about that in the Cold War. It's a small miracle. It didn't happen as is. I don't want to rerun that. 
Um, that having been said, the Russians are about to, it looks like, you know, they're, they're straight up war crimes. They are shelling cities. They are bombing uh, civilian targets, cluster munitions, you name it. This is absolutely a war crime. And I get people being really, really angry at this, but we got to be smart about this. And the idea of just kind of, bland, you know, we, we don't want to blunder into a full-scale conflict between the U.S. and Russia. And oh, by the way, Russian military doctrine is, you know, relatively laid back about using nuclear weapons. Uh, we talked about this a bit yesterday. They don't have a no first strike policy. Their attitude is if they are losing on the battlefield and they are if, if fearing losing some critical battle, they believe in, I'm, I'm not, uh, I believe I'm translating the Russian uh, language correctly, escalation to de-escalation, i.e. we will use a nuclear bomb, sm low yield, <laughs> a small one, uh, to stop the advance of the enemy and that will de-escalate the situation by setting off a small mushroom cloud over the battlefield. Uh, I don't want that to happen, and we're all worried about Vladimir Putin's state of mind right now. So I think any scenario that leads to NATO troops and shoot and Russian NATO and Russian pilots or troops shooting at, at each other is a bad one and is I won't directly quote Red October, but I think we all remember that uh, that quote about this business will get out of control and we'll be lucky if we live through it. I don't think we're quite there yet, but look, you know, right now, Russia is invading a country that is, you know, uh, territorially adjacent to several NATO, other NATO countries. The safety of Europe and the world depends upon those Russian troops knowing where they are and not crossing over a border accidentally. You know, it, is it likely to happen? No. Is it impossible? No, that's not that's we, we can't rule it out either. So this is a time for cooler heads to prevail. I want to hit Russia really, really hard. I don't want to do something that will give Putin an excuse to say, aha, See, the West is trying to attack us. The West is against us and create a state of all out war between Russia and NATO. Jim, I think that's exactly right. Uh, there are there have to be barriers on what we're willing to do here. Uh, the intensity of the sanctions, uh, the giving of weapons. Uh, you've got the EU and a lot of other countries, you know, donating planes and other weapons and uh, contributing to the sanctions and so forth. So, you know, given the mismatch that we've got here, I think we're doing about as much as we can responsibly do right now and asking us to uh, get engaged with something that could easily spiral into something much, much bigger uh, is, is irresponsible. And oh, by the way, uh, with Oklahoma Senator Jim Inhofe uh, set to retire at the end of the year, he's the top ranking Republican on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Guess who's ready to take his spot? Roger Wicker of Mississippi. So uh, tone it down, <laughs> Senator, please. All right, Jim, maybe everybody just needs to try and get some sleep if they can. Uh, and MyPillow has the perfect products to do that. And they also, of course, have the phenomenal deals. And right now, when you click on the My Listeners page at MyPillow.com and enter the promo code Martini, there are more than 20 deals for you to choose from. That includes MyPillows, as low as $19.98. The My Slippers, which are amazing. I wear them all the time at home. 50% uh, off. The MyPillow Towel Sets, now down to $39.99. 60% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99. And in addition to that, if you use our promo code Martini at checkout, you'll get Mike Lindell's free book. And of course, that's all at MyPillow.com. If you want to get your hands on My Slippers... And I don't mean the slippers that are under my desk right now. I mean the My Slippers brand. You should act now because you can get the exclusive four-tier cushioning system, which includes the My Pillow patented fill, the memory foam, the impact gel, and a sole that can be worn indoors and outdoors. You will find all of these offers and much more at mypillow.com. Click the radio listener square and use the promo code Martini at checkout, or call 800-874-0104. 
Right now, every order using the promo code Martini will also get you Mike's new book entitled What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO for free. MyPillow.com, promo code Martini, or call 800-874-0104. Don't forget the code Martini for your free book. All right, Jim, let's move to our crazy martini now. And today is State of the Union Day. That's kind of crazy enough in itself, given everything that's happening right now. But there seem to be some awfully amazing coincidences happening at the same time that Biden is heading to the joint session of Congress for what is officially his first State of the Union. He had one in the joint session last year, but in the first year, they don't call it that for a president for some reason. But nonetheless, uh, ever since Glenn Youngkin uh, challenged the mask mandates and uh, eventually won, thanks to legislation from the Virginia Assembly, it was right around that time that the numbers started to crater as well. And so state after state, looking at uh, a political slaughter this year among, hopefully, some scientific data, deciding, no, we can relax the mask mandates. Even in Washington, D.C., starting today, conveniently, uh, you've got uh, indoor mask mandates being shelved. I believe you no longer have to show proof of vaccination to go to uh, restaurants in D.C., which is uh, certainly a help for the restaurants as well as the patrons. Uh, Jen Psaki insisting yesterday that this was nothing to do with the timing of the State of the Union. You've also got uh, you know the post-January 6th fencing going up just in case the trucker convoy that's currently in Missouri happens to show up tonight for this thing. Jim, I, I don't know exactly all that's at work here. I know the CDC kind of radically changed its criteria of what considers a, a hot spot, but uh, the map looks a lot less bloody now as a result of those changes. But uh, I expect Biden to declare victory over COVID, give himself the credit, and probably uh, mumble a lot about Putin and liberal policies tonight. First of all, like, yes, the number of cases are down. Uh, the Omicron wave is over. So I, on that sense, yes, it does make sense to, uh, you know, have demasking. And I also note that this is relatively late in the year to have the president's State of the Union address. Usually it's closer to the beginning of the year, late January, early February, sometime around the Super Bowl or so. Um, so maybe it is just a coincidence, but it's an awfully convenient coincidence. I think that you, your point that uh, it just seems kind of absurd to be having it going on right now. Anyway, um, a couple of weeks, about a week ago, my colleague Charlie Cook had written a very, you know, fun, darkly funny but accurate piece saying, what's Biden going to talk about at the State of the Union? Uh, you know, oh, I did such a terrific job with Omicron. And, we, we, you know, aren't you all enjoying those tests that are arriving in the mail now? Um, you know, oh, how about how about gas prices? Aren't they doing great? Don't you feel good about the economy? You know, is he going to say, ah, oh, you know, he just kind of went down the list of all the, you know, the border, uh, you know, Afghanistan. I mean, you could go down the list of all the different areas where Biden has largely failed. His approval ratings are terrible. The outlook for Democrats in the midterms is miserable. And there's, you know, spring's coming is about all he's going to be able to say. And then Russia invades Ukraine. So now all of a sudden there's this giant foreign policy crisis that I would say, if you grade on the curve of Joe Biden being Joe Biden, he's not doing that badly. The sanctions have, you know, packed a punch. Um, I, I think his speak, his public speaking about it has not been good. I think it didn't do anybody any good when he said he would uh, would be okay with a minor incursion or, or things like that. But by by the standards of say Afghanistan, this so far is working out relatively well. But as I just wrote in the in the corner earlier today, according to some reports from ABC News and a couple other places. Um, you know what Biden is going to unveil uh, in the State of the Union address tonight, Greg? You, you, I want, you're, you're sitting down, right? I want you. I want you to be ready for this. I'm ready. New safety standards for nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Oh, good timing on that one. 
I was going to say that, yes, the har- the horses are out of the barn, but we're going to close that barn door. You know, now, is, you know, I, do I want to see good policies and, and you know, uh, uh, sufficient safety standards at retirement? Sure, that's great. But, you know, on the split screen, on the other side of the screen, Ukraine is blowing up, right? This does not feel like uh, the issue that is front and center in Americans' mind. Now, some parts are going to be talking about inflation, I'm sure. But it sounds like, at least according to Reuters, uh, a lot of what we're going to get from Biden is the same old, same old. Same old stuff isn't build back better. He's just not calling it build back better anymore. Um, and he's going to be calling for green energy and all that kind of stuff at the time when everybody's like, why are we not at a time when Russia is trying to use energy as a weapon against the rest of Europe? Why are we not attempting to maximize our development of our own natural resources? It does not sound like Biden is going to you know, give up an inch on that. Um, We'll see what happens. First of all, I, I can't believe I have to watch it tonight. I am, I'm obligated to do for my job. I don't care what Biden has to say about these sorts of things. It sounds like it's going to be the same old speech. Um, and it's just going to feel like an old, tired man giving a sales pitch that has already failed one more time as the biggest land war in Europe since 1945 is going on. It, it, it is. We'll, we'll see. I'm sure Biden will say some things about Ukraine, and hopefully he says good things about Ukraine. But... Um, I really feel like that there's a lot, there's some elements of this White House that they can't adjust to rapidly changing circumstances. And it's going to feel like this old, tired man going through his spiel one more time. And people tuned it out a long time ago. Speaking of old and tired, uh, you know, he usually gives all his major speeches in the afternoon now uh, for some reason. So uh, I'm guessing his public schedule is going to be pretty light today. Probably mm-hmm. is for most presidents on the day they give the state of the well, there's, there's nothing going on, Greg. You know. <laughs> a couple of briefings here and there. Uh, I believe there's still State of the Union bingo. Uh, so look look for those cards online. That'll make it a little bit more fun. Um, I don't know if they've made here's the deal, the free spot, because, I mean, that's pretty much a given that he's going to say before just about any major policy suggestion. No joke. I think he'll probably say as a parenthetical reference at uh, at one point, because even, even though nobody's Greg, la- <laughs> Greg, I'm not being facetious. I'm serious. <laughs> Come on, man. And the easiest money in the world is when he talks about his revamped uh, Build Back Better. There'll be a cutaway to Joe Manchin. I don't know. Do, do they position AOC behind him <laughs> to glare the way she did last time? Oh, uh, yeah. Do they, wear all, do they wear all white again now that it's a Democratic president? I'm not sure how that works. But uh, We're allowed to wear colors again. It's the, the world is free. That orange man is going away. What I would actually slightly respect Biden for tonight, even though I don't think he'll do it, and the, the thought is actually insane, but you know, he gave that interview a few days ago saying that the country's doing great, but people are too depressed from COVID to realize it. I, oh, please, please come out with that statement tonight and see how the public reacts to that one. Folks, you're doing great. You just don't realize it. You need to appreciate me more. There's also a ton of responses now. You got the governor of Iowa giving the official Republican response, but uh, Rashida Tlaib's giving a response. I think there's a, someone from the Congressional Black Caucus giving a response. I'm sure there's somebody uh, more conservative than Kim Reynolds giving a response from the right. I mean, this used to be one big speech, one short speech from the other party, and now everybody's got to get out on the act. So uh, I don't yeah, know. This is all Michelle Bachman's fault. That's true. Creating the Tea Party response separate from the Republican Party response back in the Obama years. No one's going to care with Rashida Tlaib, but, uh, you know, I I think in a way the fact that, like, you know, the squad is four people and she gets to give her own response. (laughs) Do you even have to get clearance for that? Do they have a vote inside the squad of do we do this and who gives it? Or I I don't don't know. Is that even an actual caucus? Probably not. What if it splits two to two? (laughs) Good question. 
I don't really want to know how the rules of the squad uh, caucus work. But uh, anyway, should be fun tonight. Uh, Jim, have a good day, and hopefully we'll have better news tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We are always grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews, so please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and join us again Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.